Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist, and I'm here with my friend, co-host Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. Rob, how have you been? Hey, hey, Nadia. I'm fantastic. I always feel pretty fantastic and i i uh when you're talking to me yeah well (laughs) this is especially the time of week where i feel fantastic so how are you i'm doing good well i do have a question for you yeah Um, so say you were a candidate looking for a new job and you were kind of interviewing new employers potential employers yeah what's a signal that you look for that indicates a good company culture well, I think that cultures, I don't necessarily know that that there's like a uniform answer, right? You're thinking about what is what do I want in a company culture at this particular point in my career? Yeah. And so I think that it's, so I think that that answer can be different based on what you're looking for. I think that I am very appreciative of a company culture that is less of a micromanaging type organization. And I think that both, <laughs> that might be as close to universal as, as it comes, right? Sure. People want autonomy in their work. So so I would look for clues and uh, you know ask questions about just general day-to-day management philosophy from from the person that I was going to be working with. Yeah, that's a that's good. I like that tip. That's great. How about you? What do you did you have something in mind? Uh, I think similar to you there's so many factors, right? Like I I look for like what are their values? Like I would want to know like what are some examples of how they like behave and exhibit their values? I'd want to know if they have like a growth mindset. They encourage like advancement opportunities, learning opportunities. I'd want to know. I think as I've gotten further in my career, what I've really recognized is like, is the culture willing to be challenged mm. Mm. and adjust? Right? Are we just are we just like kind of going with the flow because that's just like always how it, it's been done? So I I think I look for like how do people navigate challenging conversations, challenging like opposition to something that someone might believe in. You've severely limited your scope of companies you could work for at that point. I, Nadia, I think so that's I'm what sorry. I work for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really do. No, I, I mean, I think something. there there might be some organizations out there that that do believe in a culture of pr- true problem solving, right? But anyways, th- thanks for asking me that question in return. Sure, 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 Nadia. 
All right, let's get started. So, Nadia, this week on Inclusive Collective, we'll be talking to Farah Hussain, Director of Consumer Growth Strategy at PayPal and the founder and executive coach at Coaching with Farah about her deep expertise in global marketing and leadership. We'll also discuss a new California law requiring venture capitalists to report on who they invest in. We'll be talking about Americans living in their cars. And later I'm going to rant about, I'm sorry, I'm going to rave about First Nations representation in Manitoba. And Nadia's going to give us a little bit of a rant about her personal travel experiences. But first, Nadia, in our segment, Can I Get Two Minutes On? You coach both managers and individual contributors on how to give and receive feedback. So can I get two minutes on what are some elements that are important for effective feedback and how does this relate to DE and I? Yeah, sure. So great question. A few elements that I can hit on in two minutes. So feedback in general should be timely, behavior-based, observed, and very specific to the observation. So I out there, there are like so many models that you can use to help you provide feedback, right? So there's like the BIC, the BIQ model, the STAR model, the GROW model. Do you remember all of these Amazing. from like way back Love when? Love them all. Love them all. Right? There are all these models, but what all of these models have in common and emphasize is explaining the behavior that was observed, the impact and the result, and then being able to offer a discussion of like alternative behaviors that could be utilized to like rectify the behavior. And this, so the like feedback in general can be used not only at the end of the year, interim year, like in performance conversations, but it's really good to be able to do this throughout the year, right? So mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. setting up a cadence for coaching conversations and in those coaching conversations, you have feedback being both given and received. Mm -hmm. The other thing to consider is that both people have to be ready to receive feedback. Again, timing is everything. So some folks are open to receiving feedback in the moment and mm -hmm. and receiving it in public yeah. and others are not so much, right? They want it done in private because uh, they don't want other people to kind of be observing it. Another huge component in giving and receiving feedback is trust, which to me is a diversity, equity, and inclusion element sure. and value and also humility. So these two kind of go hand in hand in my mind. So if there's no trust, then we may not feel that the feedback is coming from like a genuine place or an honest place. And if there's no humility, then that can inhibit a growth mindset of trying to grow and be open to change. And so I would say like to foster a culture of feedback, this entails that it has to be done often. So we need to be able to practice it. And it has to be done at all levels from like the CEO to senior manager to frontline managers to frontline employees. And then there's this idea of like owning the feedback and mm. like taking accountability of the feedback. I'll also just say, Rob, and this happened to me a lot in my career, probably happened to you too, that like sometimes somebody once told me that some, sometimes feedback is just one person's opinion. Mm. So I would, again, it just have folks consider that it really depends on the behavior, the trust, the relationship that you have with the person that's giving you feedback and how timely it is. Awesome. Um, and awesome. all of those are elements of diversity, equity, inclusion, because you're treating people with dignity and respect, and you're ultimately meeting performance objectives and goals. Awesome. Appreciate that. Let's get to the deets. What do you got for us this week? Yeah. So according to TechCrunch, um, California will require venture capital firms in the state to annually report the diversity of founders they are backing. 
So um, this is the United States's first piece of legislation that aims to increase diversity within the venture capital landscape. Um, Once the law goes into effect, any VC firm operating in the state must report, for example, the race of people that they back, as well as their disability status and whether they're a member of the LGBTQ plus community. It also notes that disclosing information is voluntary and found and founding teams won't be penalized for not answering. And then the bill also requires firms to collect and release their diversity data to the public. It will go in effect on March 1st, 2025. Thoughts? So I think it's consequential. I don't know how it's necessarily going to shake out. So Mm. venture firms, they're going to have to report on who they invest in. It's interesting because the founding team reporting is voluntary. And so therefore, just, you know, depending on the size and how many founders you're invested in, it may change what your overall reporting looks like. And so I think that's, you know, that's one element of see how it shakes out. We'll see if someone, if some of these VCs play games, we know with pay transparency, companies Uh have said, okay, cool. We'll post what our, what, you know, what these jobs pay, but we're going to get very, very wide ranges. And so. So we'll see if there's some gaming. I don't know. I think that California often leads with these type of things. And so then other liberal states follow and, and will implement a very similar approach. Yeah. And it is interesting in the context of some of the conservative pushes to eliminate the collection of race and demographic data and the investment in underrepresented founders. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so it's just another example of how we're commercially splitting as a, as a country. You know, because I expect this to happen more in liberal states and then not necessarily happen in some, in some conservative states. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think those are solid points. I didn't, I didn't consider some of the the points you made. I do appreciate though, the transparency. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the transparency in this will, you know, I think the goal is to ultimately advance equity in those historically underrepresented communities. And so hoping that this bill does that. And you're right. Maybe other liberal states will take on Q and we'll just sit back and watch. So you're saying as it so, unfolds. So you're saying you're just not you're just not as naturally skeptical as I am about. No, I mean, you don't I, immediately start coming up with loopholes. I don't. But I do love that you do and and provide that insight to me. And I will say most oftentimes and not Rob, you're like right on your spot on point. So <laughs> maybe I need to be more skeptical. Skeptical in general, but I just always start with the worst thing that could happen, and it works back the other way. Yeah, that's right. that's a really effective approach. All right, uh, what do you next got for us? next story. According to both the New York Times and the LA Times this week, in separate articles, employers and cities are having to make accommodations for a new type of worker lifestyle: people that live in their cars. Not even right. Mm-hmm. So, according to the article, tens of thousands of Americans are squeezed out of housing markets in some of our more unaffordable cities. These are people that work, have full-time jobs. They can make a car payment, but they can't necessarily afford rent in cities like Seattle and Denver, where they're opening lots for people who live in their cars so they can remain safe. And according to officials there, they can't actually meet the demand for these parking spaces. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I don't think it's a good trend, Nadia. I'm going to go on record and say that I don't, I don't really like this trend. Uh mm-hmm. And um, I was just thinking about in the context of companies, you're going in, you're trying to create equity in these spaces, and it feels like you're, you know, in the context of so much inequity in these cities, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're an employer in a city like Seattle, Denver, Los Angeles, and there's so much income inequality, and, you know, you're thinking about doing equity in the workplace, it feels like, feels like you're swimming upstream. It's like dropping the bucket stuff. So 
what what did you what were you thinking about people living in their cars? I mean, not good unless you're going hiking or camping or something. Um, I would say the article you sent me actually reminded me right before I read the article, I had a conversation with a friend who told me that that their company is having tremendous layoffs. They're making this massive announcement next week about it. And she was really upset because she's like, you know, I've been there for so long, almost 20 years. I My job could be on the line. And what really bothers me is that the senior manager, senior leadership team, executive teams never take a pay cut and they're mm. making millions of dollars. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I remember that from like so many that I used to work for. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it happens. And that's frustrating because you're like, why? There's no equity in uh, or compassion and understanding that someone just like lost their livelihood. And yeah, you're providing them severance, perhaps. And then I just what it goes back to me is like people do what they have to do in order to survive. And mm -hmm. if you can only afford a car and no home based on your salary and you don't qualify for government assistance because you're over that threshold and you can't afford anything else, like what what else are people expected to do then? You know, not everyone has generational wealth. Not everyone has a safety net or has had a safety net. And so, you know, this is where this is where we are as a developed country. And so it's just it's very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, the system itself drives that massive inequalities. Right. And so your employees show up to work. They're already behind in the race. And I just think about like living in your car and actually trying to being expected to perform, you know, at, at the same level of everyone else in your organization. So low corporate taxes, deunionization, a lack of antitrust, right? So that allows giant companies like Amazon, where uh, everyone has a gazillion dollars, so they bid up the property prices and rents in a particular place. So people have to live in their cars that don't work for Amazon, right? So that's unsustainable. I would think the companies have to get into this fight because I don't think that you can perform as well as a company mm -hmm. if your frontline workers are having and experiencing such such massive inequality outside of of the workplace totally totally and you know some of my gen z friends who are new in the workforce or newer in the workforce like say they don't know when they would be able to afford a home so they're living at home with their parents and they have that safety net to be able to do that mm -hmm. so it's interesting yeah it's interesting. yeah all right, so we'll watch that. Thanks, Nadia. That's it for the deets. We're going to be right back with executive coach Farah Hussein. Welcome back, folks. So this week on Inclusive Collective Podcast, we welcome Farah Hussein. Farah Hussein is a global growth director at PayPal and a certified executive coach with her own practice. She has more than 15 years of global marketing experience, primarily in progressive leadership roles in the tech industry. Her executive coaching practice, Coaching with Farah, supports leaders to accelerate their growth in line with a personal leadership vision. Her clients tend to be at a pivotal transition point in their leadership journey. Farah has an MBA from Babson College and a BA from Wellesley College. Welcome, Farah. Thanks for joining us on Inclusive Collective Podcast this week. Thanks for having me. Farah, it's so nice to meet you. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Uh, I, I want to start with, I know you work with leaders at different levels, different industries. So what are some of the things that are common, right? What's what, How are leaders doing? What are some of the commonalities that you're observing? And what are some of the gaps that, that uh, many leaders are, are feeling and seeing these days? Mm. You know, one, uh, one thing that's very consistent across people who come to me for coaching and with my existing clients is that they often use the same terms to describe their experience. For example, mm. I 
am feeling low in my confidence. I am trying to break free of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I hear that word all the time. (laughs) All the time. Trying to figure out how to uh, reduce my self-doubt. But when you really dig in to what those terms mean to people, you find that there is so much more nuance in people's experiences Mm. than even they realize. Mm. Sure. Tell me more about that. So like what... Are, what are people, how are people defining something like confidence or defining something like imposter? I use imposter syndrome a lot and I define it in my own head a certain way. But when I hear someone else defi- describe it, it's not really the same thing. So I'm curious, like, how is that manifesting for people and how are, how are you hearing the differences in definitions and definitions mm-hmm. in different terms? That's a great question. And if I give you an example of one person who became a client, when she first reached out to me, she described it as feeling like she didn't have a voice, feeling like she was always second guessing herself. And then when we met in our very first conversation, she said to me, I cannot be myself at work because I'm a black woman. Hmm. The word confidence Imposter syndrome, self-doubt, is not in that statement. And so when we dug into what does that mean to her, what we learned is that she felt the weight of stereotypes about being a Black woman. Mm -hmm. She was afraid of calling any attention to herself in the event that She might perpetuate a stereotype. She didn't want to be judged. She didn't want her career to be limited by boxes that other people might put her in. And so the more we worked together, the more we discovered that her deepest need was a need for safety. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a need for confidence. Mm -hmm. But for her, it was coming up as a lack of confidence. But until we understood the source of you know, how it was manifesting, we couldn't actually work with that feeling of not having confidence. Yeah, that's great. And I think that, you know, I think about that problem as being a, a tough one to, to, to start to build that, that uh, feeling of safety. So, so then as a coach, what is your approach? What is your philosophy to coaching? You know, what are the big things that you, you dive into with clients? So, um, As far as approach goes, sometimes, you know, in our culture, we are trained to live in our minds. People ask us, what do you think about things? We'll tell ourselves, let me think about that for a little bit longer. And often we're trying to find the right words to describe how we feel and what we think. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our words are limiting, even in this example (laughs) of confidence, imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. self-doubt. And so from a coaching approach, one thing that I do is try to get around finding the right word or getting tripped up on finding the right words and instead tapping into other sources of information that we already have within us. So I'll give you a few examples of that. Um, If you can't find the right word for something, I might ask you what physical sensation is coming up for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a knot in your stomach. Maybe you feel lightness in your feet. Physical sensation 
can be a replacement for a word. Mm-hmm. And emotion could be a replacement for a word. Maybe you're not connecting to the physical sensation kind of as a, as a tactic. So you might say to me, I feel angry or I feel excited. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's an entry point for us. Other examples are maybe experiencing your, an experience you're having today reminds you of an experience you've had in the past. So we may spend some time digging into the experience that you had in the past. What was showing up for you then? What did you notice about yourself? What can we learn from that experience to better understand the experience that you're having today? The example that you gave about the Black woman that you were coaching is really resonating with me because oftentimes for myself, I've had to, I don't want to use the word code switch again. Like we use these terms and may not be able to define them the same way, but I, I have felt in the past I've had to go into meetings a certain way where I'm either hiding a component of who I am, my identity, and I've talked to other friends that are from marginalized communities who also have felt that. And in my research right now, what's glaring for me is this aspect of hiding or concealing parts of who someone is and not bringing it into the workplace um, out of like you said, we don't know. Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's out of lack of confidence. And so I love this approach of like really tuning into like, what is it? The physical, where are you feeling it? Where is it a physical sensation? And I will tell you, like, even in my research, when these folks are sharing how they're feeling, they are crying. And so to me, that's like such a that is a physical sensation, a reaction that they're having to how they feel that they have to hide components of their identity. So it's like you're coaching these people. Um, but how how do you coach them to then interact in their environment where the environment like managers, leaders, organization in the culture does not maybe foster for them to be themselves. Mm, That is such a great question. When I look at this from the perspective of a coach and coaching people, the starting point, and this is actually uh, an assignment I give to people, to most people, is to start observing your own reactions in different situations. For example, Let's say we've identified that you are a people pleaser. We know it. We know what it feels like to you. You know how um, you show up when you feel like you're being a people pleaser. But you haven't built consciousness around how it's showing up in different contexts. Mm -hmm. So I may say, for the next week, all I want you to do is note down for yourself, when does my people pleaser show up? How is it showing up? And what is happening in my environment that makes it show up? So in some ways, it's a bit of like data collection on yourself. Mm -hmm. Because what's really challenging in environments where you feel like I can't be myself, we often will look for information externally to figure out how should I be behaving before we have grounded ourselves in why might I be behaving the way that I am? Mm. 
So that's my, that's the starting point from a coaching perspective. Yeah. And you can't necessarily change the environment. You can change the way you react in that environment in those situations as well. That's, uh, uh, that's why coaching is so effective, right? Um, yeah. yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit. I know we talk a lot about language in our field in DEI and language obviously evolves. Uh, a lot of times terms can be defined in different ways. We're talking about the same thing, but there's a different term that people are using. So, um, you know, this is true even of diver diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, so can you talk about what you're observing in terms of language being used in the workplace? Uh, and how is that language limiting and, and who is it limiting for? Mm -mm. So, um, sure, let's look at a couple of different examples of this. I mean, one that's probably very present for people, even as we're nearing the end of the year and the performance review cycle, feedback, <laughs> like giving and receiving feedback. It's, it all comes full circle with us, Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is one great example where language is limiting. Um, someone recently said to me, well, my boss told me that I am not showing up with confidence, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, what do you do with that? And what do you do with that? Yeah. And so even if as the boss, you think you're being perfectly clear, that phrase can be understood in so many different ways. And what's going to happen if you don't, you know, make the little bit of extra effort to explain what you mean is people will start making assumptions to fill in the gaps themselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll even go down a path to try to build more confidence. And then uh, you find that they went down a path that you did not even intend. So now you're both back at square one. Mm-hmm. Or people will be frustrated with you and might even feel like you don't care because if you cared, maybe you would take the extra minute or two to reflect on what you mean in order to share the feedback and uh, support that person in changing or improving in whatever way that the boss intended to share. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one way definitely mm -hmm. shows up yeah. in the workplace. Yeah, that resonates with me because forever in a day I was told I didn't have confidence and I never got examples or observations of like, what do you mean? What does that mean? And show me, tell me what that looks like. And I so was I was once told Farah that I should be less Rob. Is that good feedback? Like, oh my goodness, th th was that was that uh, was that effective? I didn't know what to do with that either. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, that is a new one for me. I have Sorry. never heard that. Yeah, be be less of yourself. Yeah. How'd that work out for you? That Rob? was from Nadia. That was Nadia, by the way. That, <laughs> yeah, that was for me. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, can you tone down on the Robness? <laughs> <laughs> um, so really all such great information. Um, so recently, in the last like three or four years, leaders have been putting out statements, particularly on like where they or their organization might stand on a particular issue or current event. We saw this like, when George Floyd was murdered, we saw this throughout the year with like LGBTQ events, abortion, and then, and then of course, like most recently with the occupation of Palestine um, and, and the genocide. And I'm just curious, like from your perspective, especially as we're thinking of coaching like leaders in times of like, how, you know, <laughs> what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say. What elements would you encourage leaders to consider 
before they send out a statement? Um, or like how, how might you coach them in terms of navigating um, and addressing a particular situation? It doesn't have to be any one of those particular situations that I mentioned, but like what's kind of like the common coaching technique or tool that you may have folks consider? That is a great question. And I do actually want to take a moment to acknowledge the pain that people are feeling right now, specifically with Israel-Palestine, because it's, it is probably the most present thing for people. And uh, I'm going to give you my perspective as far as how I would coach someone through responding to a current event. But from a human perspective, I will say that people are witnessing dehumanization and violence to a degree that they may not have even imagined was possible in 2023. And by not acknowledging their pain, in a way, you're not acknowledging their humanity. And so just from my personal perspective, it's one of the reasons why it's important to respond and uh, acknowledge in these, in these scenarios. As far as how to coach a leader or an organization in how to respond, the first thing I will say is coaching is not telling people what to do. So it actually wouldn't be me even saying what I just said mm -hmm. as a starting point. What my job is, is to guide you through what you need to think about to get to your own answer. There's a series of decisions you have to make. Your, your first step is to decide, am I going to respond at all? Silence is a choice. Speaking up is also a choice. Let's assume you've decided that you do want to respond. You want to say something. Then you need to decide what principles do you want to follow in crafting and delivering your response. You could use company values as a starting point if you're an organization to guide you. Uh, but my recommendation is start with a blank slate. Don't even look to your existing templates for how you might respond. Because if you do that, then you're not being completely open-minded uh, in understanding what the current situation may need. Mm -hmm. Ask what voices you want in the room to give you an understanding of what perspectives are at play that you want to incorporate into your response. And then getting really tactical, decide what words do you want to use? What do those words mean to you? And how are you going to explain what they mean to you so that people understand? And then finally, and this is not the least important, perhaps it's the most important, is define what action you're going to take to back up those words. Hmm. And what I'm describing here is actually similar to a decision-making process I take a lot of clients through for lots of different decisions. What values do you want to bring to the table? And then what actions and words will represent that value? to make it something tangible mm -hmm. and real. Right, right. 
Yeah, I think that's, I think it's uh, great stuff. Um, and I think that a lot of leaders are grappling with this now. And so I think there's a lot of <laughs> very useful advice in, in that. And uh, so I appreciate that. Um, Farah, can you give us one resource or just, you know, what should we be reading or looking at or watching in the context of, again, like the coaching that you do and DEI? I strongly recommend that people read fiction. <laughs> okay. Tell us more. <laughs> and the reason why is because fiction authors don't spell out the meaning that's embedded in their work. It requires you to steep yourself in nuance that comes through metaphor, tone, characters, scenes. It's like the complete opposite of having a word, to, to go back to our theme of language, that describes what you mean. Mm. A book's not going to tell you what they mean in one word. How about a tweet? Will a tweet tell you? <laughs> a tweet. Is that is that enough? Oh, we, do, we don't even call them tweets anymore or something. Like that. <laughs> but I appreciate that. I love that. And, and now give me one fiction title that you recommend. Mm. That's a band. <laughs> That's not a band oh. book that we can't get access to. <laughs> the first one that came to mind actually might be. So I'll give you two. Uh, I reread Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye this summer. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And uh, the reason why I recommend it, the reason why I loved it as a work of fiction that, that steeped me in nuance was to me, the biggest lesson that comes out of that book is that communities are responsible for the people in them. Mm -hmm. That's why I'd say that book. Right now I'm reading a book called Paradise by Abdul Razak Gurna. It is based in pre-colonial East Africa. The reason I'm reading this book, and I'm trying to read um, read other books by him and other African authors, is because, sure, fiction is great, but I think it's great to read fiction that uh, represents communities and cultures that are different from the ones you know, hmm. because that's going to challenge you as well in understanding nuance and seeing things um, from a perspective that you probably don't right now. That's awesome. Really great suggestions. Um, Farah saying, thank you so much for joining us this week on Inclusive Collective. It was such a pleasure having you here. It was a fun conversation. Thanks so much. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back for our Converflections and Raves and Rants. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. We just finished chatting with Farah Hussein, executive coach, and Nadia other than wanting to hire her myself because <laughs> right. she is very soothing and I feel yeah. much more positive about things after talking to her. What, what were some quick takeaways uh, from that conversation? Probably very similar to yours. The nuances of language and defining terms and just understanding like what we mean by um, the words that we use. I would say like the feedback again, it all comes full circle. Like I didn't, I didn't even intend for that to be right. Like, so interesting how that's one of the things like receiving and giving feedback um, is so critical to our development. And then I love the last resource and recommendation she made about reading fiction books. Cause oftentimes I focus on reading nonfiction and academic journals 
And I think there is something to be said about getting lost in something fiction that maybe you're exposed to a different thought and the nuances of kind of like that imagination and in different cultures maybe. And so I really appreciated that. I think there's something to be said about that. Um, so I hope our listeners took that away. What about you? Yep. Yep. I had the same, had the same thoughts. She, we were talking about corporate communication really, or communication from executives. She was talking about being sure that you can explain what the words mean to you. And I think that oftentimes people will, uh, put out messages and then not necessarily think about the actual words and how they're going to explain them. So it's just a good reminder uh, that you need to be able to do that, right? And especially when you're talking about some of these things that are very sensitive right now, like words have meanings and you need to make sure that you actually uh, know what they mean to you. So great stuff from Farah Hussain. Appreciate it, Nadia. It's time for Rants and Raves. Mm -hmm. Why don't you kick us off here? Tell us about what, what, what do you got in your mind? I got a rant. Um, So I was traveling last week, as you know, because we were together and then dispersed. And I have a few pet peeves that I just want to vent about that. So these are more rhetorical questions that I'm going to ask. I don't expect you to answer them. But like, why do we call first class first class? Why do people not have airplane etiquette when forming lines to get on the plane and exit the plane? And why? When the airline staff is making announcements when it's ready to board, can we not hear them on the intercom when they're calling boarding group numbers? Like, to me, that is such a for like a like I'm bringing this back to DEI because I'm fairly good of hearing. I have decent hearing. There are Mm -hmm. people who are hard of hearing or just cannot hear at all. Capital D deaf and. It's not really fair or hackable in any sort of manner. And I just wish that airports and airlines has fixed this issue. That's my rant. So many, so many things that I could add. We could do a whole episode on, I mean, when you go, it is a, it is a classist, right? You go to the airport, it is like, you can, you can see classism and elitism on full display if you just, to, if you can just tune into it and see what's happening. It is the most uh, elitist. Uh, you can see the partitions between society. <laughs> it's yeah. like the, the little curtain right there. Boom. Yeah. You're on the outside of that curtain. Okay. But so definitely appreciate it. And hopefully uh, you have a good experience next time you travel. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, you know, something really fun. I was looking for something that was just really happy, something that no one could get upset about. And so uh, I wanted to share this all-around exciting story from Manitoba, Canada. Have you been to Manitoba? Have you no. traveled to Manitoba? No, me, me neither. But okay. the premier designate there, which is like the governor here in, in the United States for the province, Wam Kanu, who was recently elected as the First Nations premier for the province, spoke this past week at an event and pledged to bring First Nations women into his cabinet, another first there. So I just want to listen to this quote from uh, Derek Nepenak of the uh, Anishinaabe Nation. Mm-hmm. He said that, I know for one, I've always been very much looking from the outside in, but this man's great victory is causing me to reflect upon my own identity and where I stand. Maybe there's space for us in this Manitoba idea as indigenous people. So mm-hmm. I, who can get behind, who cannot get behind that? That is mm-hmm. great stuff and shows yeah. you, again, representation is super important. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. All right, Nadia, that is it for Inclusive Collective. Just a reminder, if you're looking for DE and I and workplace culture strategy consulting, problem solving, or training, you can reach Nadia 
at Nadia at NazConsultants.com and Rob at Rob at TecanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Affiliate Media and edited by the one and only RMFA. We would love to hear from you. So send us your feedback at Inclusive Collective at Refillion.com. Find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to our LinkedIn newsletter where you get outtakes and fun stuff from Nadia and I. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Farah Hussein. We will be back next week. Thanks, Nadia. Bye. Rob, you can always be yourself with me. <laughs> and I hope I hope I've given you that and buy that space to do so. That space, yeah. No, it's like my favorite feedback ever. <laughs>